Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you're listening to Smoke News Radio. Tonight we're going from the Philippines to Kentucky, back to Thailand. Let's read some of the articles and what's been happening this year so far in the Philippines. This is from the Marijuana Business Daily. Philippines medical cannabis bill advances, but it's not law yet. And this is by Paul Lemieux. A bill to legalize and regulate medical cannabis in the Philippines was approved on its second reading in the House of Representatives earlier this year. But steps remain before it can become law. The measure would open medical marijuana access to patients for a wide variety of uses and call for the creation of a medical cannabis compassionate center, effectively laying the legal foundation for a functional industry in the eighth most populous country in Asia. Medical cannabis is technically permitted in the Philippines because of a 1992 Department of Health Administration order and the Comprehensive Dangerous Drugs Act of 2002, which stipulates that people with legitimate medical needs are not prevented from being treated with adequate amounts of appropriate medications, which include the use of dangerous drugs. In reality, however, the combination of no legal supply and regulatory quagmire makes medical marijuana nearly impossible to access in the country. The bill before the Philippines Parliament would make medical cannabis accessible only through pharmacists on Department of Health retained hospitals, specifically hospitals and private territory hospitals, licensed and registered with the Department of Health for such a purpose. The proposed law now faces a third and final vote in the House before being transmitted to the Senate, where some lawmakers have expressed support for the bill. If approved, the Senate the bill goes to a conference committee that could introduce new provisions or simply try to reconcile differences between the House and Senate versions. Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte has a final say and has expressed support for the legislation to legalize medical marijuana. The House adjourns February 8th before resuming May 20th. And that was Marijuana Business Daily. And uh, let's uh, let's see what else is what else is happening out there in the. Philippines from Cannabis Now, U.S. citizen caught in anti-drug sweeps in the Philippines. This is by Bill Weinberg, a little more recent. President Rodrigo Duterte of the Philippines has been waging a blood-drenched campaign against illegal drugs that many human rights advocates say has reached the point of crimes against humanity. It only rarely makes headlines here in the U.S., but the situation is currently set to escalate yet further. Following last month's midterm elections in the Philippines, 
Gutierrez's ruling bloc now has a supermajority in the country's Senate, which means opposition stands practically no chance of blocking the extraordinary powers he is seeking to pursue his drug war. Along the winners is Gutierrez's former national police chief, Ronald Del Rosa, who, until stepping down to run for Senate, was at the helm of the ultra-murderous drug crackdown. This almost certainly means that the long-sought medical marijuana law in the Philippines is now dead. The measure passed the Philippine House of Representatives in May, but now stands little chance in the Senate. Gutierrez himself has flip-flopped on the issue, even saying in December that he used cannabis himself and stay awake, but shortly later backpedaling, saying he was joking. Human Rights Watch lectured him, saying that he is no laughing matter. With 12,000 killed by his national police and unaccountable paramilitary forces, since he took office in 2016, others have put the death toll as high as 20,000, with the small-time users and dealers comprising the majority of those casualties. More disturbingly, Duterte's supermajority may allow him to push through his proposed constitutional changes, giving him sweeping powers to execute his drug war ruled by decree and stay in power indefinitely. All too telling, in Duterte's draft constitution, there is no longer any mention that the Philippine government guarantees full respect for human rights. And anonymously, the Philippines formally withdrew from the International Criminal Court in March, becoming the second country to do so. After Burundi, Duterte had threatened to leave the ICC if it launched a case against him. And the court had indeed recently opened a preliminary investigation into accusations that Gutierrez's security forces have committed mass murder and crimes against humanity in the context of his war on drugs. Amid all this, it won at least a brief flurry of stateside news coverage when it turned out that a young U.S. citizen had been swept up in Duterte's crackdown, imprisoned and under threat to his life over a cannabis charge, the case of Orion Alfonso Amre Tamayo, who is 26, of Madison, Wisconsin, was profiled by NBC on May 31st. He had been arrested the previous week after going to a Manila area customs office to pick up a parcel addressed to him by a sender, he says. He didn't know. The parcel turned out to contain 30 vials of liquid THC. Tamayo, a dual U.S.-Philippine citizen, has been charged with drug smuggling and faces the prospect of a long prison term on top of what is typically years behind bars waiting for a trial. His mother, Davina Stewart, told NBC she is convinced her happy-go-lucky and very soft-hearted son is innocent. This is Absolutely soul-crushing and heart-shattering, Stewart told NBC News from her home in Minnesota. I believe his life is in danger, she added. This has been a nightmare. Stewart said she has spoken to her son by phone since his arrest, and he is being held in a cell at the Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency, headquarters in Quezon City. Tamayo, who had 
never had a run-in with the law before, moved to the Philippines at the age of 18 to attend college. Enchanted by the country's culture, he decided to stay after completing his studies. Tamayo's case certainly demands attention, but he is one among many thousands of anonymous Filipinos who have been caught up in Duterte's anti-drug sweeps. It was reported in March that since Duterte took office, the National Police and the PDEA have arrested 170,000 drug suspects. Again, overwhelmingly personal users and street-level dealers. The number is doubtless higher now. Dutier's next crusade, censoring rap music. On the subject of the Filipino culture, another target of Dutier's anti-drug rap is now a local music star. The Philippine Star newspaper reports that the PDEA is seeking to ban a song by a young Philippine rapper, Shanti Dope. PDA Director General Aaron Aquino released a statement May 23rd claiming that the lyrics of Shanti's new song, Amat, promote the use of cannabis. It appears that the singer was referring to the high effect of marijuana being in its natural organic state and not altered by any chemical compound. Aquino said in a statement issued after the song made its debut on the popular TV show ASAP, we strongly oppose the promotion of musical pieces or songs that encourage the recreational use of drugs like marijuana and shabu. It is contrary to our fight against illegal drugs, said the PDEA chief. Shabu is Filipino slang for methamphetamine. So bringing it up appears to be more of a disingenuous conflation of cannabis with actually dangerous drugs. Shanty Dope's label, Universal Records, issued a statement from Shanty's collector of the song. Another local hip-hop star named Clumkey, the song Amat's message is about having a natural high, being one with nature and an awareness about our environment in society, which is bombarded by synthetics and chemicals. He said, we made a conscious effort to make it sound like a banger so a lot of people would enjoy and feel the vibe and message behind the song. Whether or not Amat is explicitly about cannabis. There is a whiff of political retribution to PDEA's move. Some of Shanti Dope's other songs, particularly Norim, are named as explicitly critical of Duterte's anti-drug campaign. This was uh, brought to you from Canvas Now, written by Bill Weinberg, a U.S. citizen caught in anti-drug sweeps in the Philippines. So, uh, what's going on? What's going on? What? What's going on? What's going on? What? Let's go on out there to Kentucky. See what's going on out there in the earth. This is from WFPL 89.3 um, out there in that land. 
by uh, the, uh, the them the title for the first time the Kentucky State Fair presenting sponsor is a hemp company. The Kentucky State Fair starts on Thursday, and the presenting sponsor will be a hemp production company, a first in the fair's 115-year history. State Fair officials named Jen Canna as a presenting sponsor in a June 4th announcement, adding that hemp has a promising future in Kentucky. The company will host a booth at the fair with free merchandise, information on partner opportunities, and educational information about hemp. State Fair spokesman Ian Cox said, the fair board chose Jen Canna because of its work promoting Kentucky's agriculture. We look at what the people of Kentucky can resonate with, what they can relate with, and also the values of our show, Cox said. When you look at the transition of farmers going from tobacco to hemp, Jen Canna fit the bill. Jen Canna, based in Winchester, Kentucky, was one of the first companies to get a Kentucky hemp license as part of the state's pilot program, the company, which focuses on growing and manufacturing hemp to produce food products, has grown since then, and recently expanded to start construction on a new $40 million facility. Though this isn't the first time hemp has been part of the fair, Kentucky Agriculture Commission Ryan Quarries said the crop's larger presence this year is a big deal for the growing industry. Hemp gives Kentucky the opportunity to be first in something instead of last. Query said the fact that we have a hemp company being the presenting sponsor to the Kentucky State Fair is not only historic, but it also reflects how big this industry is becoming. Interest in hemp has boomed these last few years since sales rose by 41 million in 2018. Qantas expects sales will double this year, but hemp has carried a stigma for a long time because of its close relation to cannabis. Though it has almost no THC, a psychoactive chemical which gives marijuana users their high feeling, it was criminalized as part of the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. In 2014, Farm Bill allowed hemp growth for research and development and signaled growing acceptance of the crop. The 2018 Farm Bill effectively legalized the crop, clearing the way for farmers and industry newcomers. According to Kentucky Department of Agriculture spokesman Sean Southern, there were 500 hemp processing jobs, a one 1,000 growers, and more than 200 hemp processors reported in Kentucky this year. But Jen Canna presented Steve Bevan said, there's more work to do when it comes to growing the industry's reach. What's next is getting better and more efficient at what we do, Bevan said, but it's not going to be easy. 
what we're going to learn now is going to help Kentucky stay out front into the future. This year's fair starts August 15th and goes August 25th. This is WFPL. For the first time, Kentucky State Fair presenting sponsor is a hemp company. Read to you here on Smoke News Radio. On the microphone tonight, Jason Isaacuff, Brodsky, connecting. What can we do? It's uh, articles I look up on the internet. This is from the Courier Journal by Joe Santa. Possession of small amounts of marijuana will no longer be prosecuted in Louisville. Recently, a few days ago, wrote this in an effort to address a racial disparity in drug arrest. The Jefferson County Attorney's Office will no longer prosecute people for possession of a small amount of marijuana when that is the only or primarily charge. For me to truly be a minister of justice, I cannot sit idly by when communities of color are treated differently, Jefferson County Attorney Mike O'Donnell said at a peace conference Wednesday. He cited a Courier-Journal investigation that found that African Americans accounted for two-thirds of the marijuana possession cases in 2017, with the black drivers cited for possession by Louisville Metro Police at six times the rate of white people. That disparity on marijuana charges along racial lines occurred despite national studies showing that both groups smoke marijuana at roughly the same rate. The origin of this disparity is likely not intentional or malicious, but that does not change the end results, O'Connell said. Because of the policy change, Louisville Metro Police Chief Steve Conrad said he will instruct his officers not to routinely write citations for this specific offense. However, Conrad noted that it is important for the public to understand that marijuana possession remains illegal in Kentucky and police officers still have a duty to uphold that law. Under the new policy, the county's attorney's office will no longer prosecute possession of marijuana cases involving one ounce or less, so long as that is the only charge or the most serious charge against the defendant, according to a memo from the office. It will also decline to prosecute cases involving possession of drug paraphernalia when that is clearly only used for marijuana consumption. However, the policy will not affect marijuana cases involving trafficking, cultivation, driving under the influence, public consumption, or intoxication. And people younger than 21 years old will continue to be prosecuted for simple possession of small amounts of the drug. The new policy takes effect immediately 
O'Connell said, and pending cases that meet the criteria will not be prosecuted. The change comes as states such as Colorado have legalized the use of marijuana for recreational and medicinal usage, and after more than 50 communities in a dozen states have ended prosecution or enacted municipal laws decriminalizing minor marijuana violations. Those include Cincinnati, where the city council voted in June to decriminalize marijuana possession and allow individuals to have up to 3.5 ounces without a fear of fines or prosecution. The change to O'Connell's office also follows the Louisville Metro Council's passage of an ordinance in June that makes arrest for possession of half an ounce or less of marijuana the lowest law enforcement priority for officers. Kentucky statutes classify marijuana possession as a misdemeanor, punishable up to 45 days in jail and a $250 fine. Though a law passed in 2012 allows people to have such charges voided from their record after 60 days. O'Connell said his office has the authority under state law to decline to prosecute these charges and that the change will allow his office to commit more resources to prosecuting serious and deadly crimes such as those involving Guns, domestic violence, driving under the influence, and the opioid crisis. Attorney General Andy Bashir issued a statement agreeing that county attorneys have wide discretion in allocating the resources within their respective jurisdictions, adding that O'Connell's decision was based on known racial disparities and disproportional consequences and lifetime impact of a conviction. A spokesperson for Governor Matt Bevin did not immediately return a request for comment on O'Connell's decision Wednesday. Jean Porter, a spokeswoman for Mayor Greg Fisher, issued a statement saying the mayor respects O'Connell's decision amid an evolving conversation around marijuana here and across the U.S., and supports Conrad's efforts to adjust police practices. The mayor understands that this is an issue that relates to a range of others and including equity and encourages the discussion surrounding marijuana policies to continue here in Louisville and at the state and federal level, Porter said. The council said that while his department will continue to prioritize its resources on violent crime, such investigations may still intersect with marijuana possession, which may provide probable cause for searches. The marijuana may still be seized even if there is no citation, he said. 
O'Neill was joined in the news conference by leader of the Kentucky NAACP, Louisville Urban League and American Civil Liberties Union of Kentucky, who all applauded the policy change as a way to combat racial disparities in drug arrests and prosecutions. Kentucky NAACP President Raul Cunningham called the move a good first step but said additional legislation would have to be passed at the state and federal level to fully decriminalize marijuana and truly end racial disparity. Asked if he thought the charges for the county's attorney's office would lead to police arresting and citing less African Americans for marijuana possession, he answered, I doubt it. Louisville Urban League President Santika Reynolds was more optimistic, saying that LMPD has to change. We've got to make sure that we've focused on the right things, said Reynolds, noting the city's high homicide rate. When you appoint someone to a position, like the chief of police, you expect them to be innovative and help find ways to change the trajectory of what's happening in our community and I suspect that the police department will begin to change more quickly. Matthew Bratcher, executive director of Kentucky's chapter of National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, told the Courier-Journal that Louisville has made a big first step towards modernizing cannabis policy and that other cities and Frankfurt should now follow suit. It is our hope that other cities in Kentucky see what the Louisville have done with this announcement and the passage of the recent lowest law enforcement priority ordinance on cannabis. Start taking the initiative and make reform happen in their community. It is our hope that other cities in Kentucky see what Louisville has done with this announcement, the passage of the recent lowest law enforcement priority ordinance on cannabis start taking effect the initiative, making the reform happen in the community, Basher said. This is uh, written by Joe Sanka, the Courier, Courier Journal in Kentucky, Louisville town, possession of small amounts of marijuana will no longer be prosecuted in Louisville. Super duper, super duper, super, super, super. Like we don't really know exactly what's uh what's what's gonna what's gonna happen in the world, but we do know that uh there's good things and there's bad things, there's also different views. So see as many different views as we can find. Okay. This is uh PRI dot org. Health and Medicine by Patrick Wynn. It's here in August. Thailand is betting big on cannabis. Visit its first legal lab. The unraveling of harsh anti-pot laws across the world is finally coming to Asia. The East and Southeast Asia democracies and dictatorships alike have long skewed towards severe penalties for marijuana users. Thailand, a key ally in America's global war on drugs, has been no exception. But the percentage of cannabis has begun to change with astonishing speed. Thailand's right-wing government recently legalized medical cannabis and identified the creation of a homegrown marijuana industry as a top priority. 
Even some of the Thailand conservatives now talk excitedly of churning out world-class cannabis from its lush farmlands and stealing the lead before other Asian countries build their own markets around the region. South Korea and the Philippines are taking baby steps towards loosening anti-pot laws while China has quietly permitted research into the drug. In Thailand, at this point, there is no marijuana industry, but a few months back, authorities quietly allowed scientists to put together the country's first ever cannabis laboratory, one of the few legal facilities of its kind in Asia. That lab at a school north of Bangkok called Rangsit University is finally being unveiled. On a guided tour, the world has given access to more than a dozen pharmacists, medical researchers, and agriculture specialists who are helping build this industry from scratch. Importing marijuana to Thailand, even for medical purposes, is still illegal. Researchers had to work with cannabis confiscated by police and supplied by Thailand's Anti-Narcotic Bureau. In other words, drug users and traffickers may have inadvertently contributed to the advancement of medicine. Earlier this year, scientists were handed about 40 kilo-sized bricks of weed. Most of it was contaminated by pesticides, heavy metals, and other residues. But there's enough usable stock to create quality oils laden with tetrahydrocannabinol, known as THC while the researchers have practiced distilling in their labs. Expect some flavorful THC-infused products. The scientists aim to make life more bearable for people suffering through chemotherapy, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, and chronic pain. They've been creative in coming up with ways to administer doses of THC. Prototypes presented so far include THC-infused wafers, massage oils, spray on the stomach, and a nasal spray. But the most inventive prototype is a flavorful powder that combines marijuana with signature Thai ingredients, sandalwood, ginger, and three types of pepper. The powder is consumed as a liquid after mixing it with coconut oil. This will produce a peppery drink that, according to researchers, also has floral and sweet flavors of coconut. The college hosting of the Cannabis Lab, Rangate University, is putting together what they call Ganja Studies Program, taught by professors specializing in pharmaceuticals, medicine, and cutting-edge agriculture. In the Thai language, Ganja isn't something it's a formal word for cannabis. At this point, the curriculum is envisioned as a minor, not a major, though demand is very high. Several dozen students have already tried to land spots on enrollment lists, even though the program may take more than a year to roll out. As the program is more fully built up, researchers will start creating their own unique cannabis streams that don't rely on confiscated marijuana from the police. Again, in university, college pharmacy. The buzz around medical cannabis in Thailand is intense. Analysts are throwing some estimates valuing the national's potential marijuana market at more than half a billion dollars. And in the halls of government, some politicians are pushing for recreational use, citing California's inspiration. <clears throat> Still, the country remains in a transition period, says Sapuchai Karuntaranta Paruk, a former top official with Thailand's health ministry who is now steering Rang Sanit's university's research efforts. For starters, there isn't much supply marijuana plants are being grown now only in few government-approved greenhouses. Doctors at state-run hospitals have been cleared to dispense a small batch of THC oils to select patients, but for now, there aren't enough legal marijuana plants to power an industrialized market. Influential figures in the government, Supachai says, remain skittish about the specter of all-out legalization. There's also a well-founded fear, he says, that this nascent industry will become monopolized 
by one or two corporations, possibly foreign, that are focused on profits and not health. We can't let it all fall into one of one set of hands, one big company says. Our responsibility is to develop special tie strains of world-class cannabis used in medicine. We want to cooperate with farmer co-ops. They grow it. We provide knowledge, and it's also the medical profession. That's the model. And that was a PRI.org Health and Medicine. Thailand is betting big on cannabis. It's first legal lab out there. And uh, we, we got a little more from these guys here. Have here listening to Smoke News Radio. Jason Brodsky, your uh, announcer. Rocking down. Putting down thoughts, ideas. Um, this is from Vice.com. This is uh, weed could once get locals killed in Bangkok. Now cannabis culture is taking off. This is by Jamie Fulton. With medical, I apologize, with marijuana legalized for medical use in Thailand, Bangkok stoners are emerging from the underground. This is uh, just as last week. In the kitchen of her little Bangkok indie movie theater, Cinema Oasis film director Ian K. pointed her friend. Piaglex Heaps, she says they were beach bums together in Phuket in the 80s when they could sunbathe naked without hassle. Today, Piak is wearing a scraggy, baggy black t-shirt with a peace symbol design. His grim framed by wispy white beard and mustache. I don't like to judge by appearances, I reply as Piak carefully paints a ganja leaf shape on her glass bong and gold paint, but I'd hazard a guess that he smokes a fair bit of marijuana. Piak nods and heads in the receptacle. The crystal bog, she explained, Hawaiian shirt swishing as she raised the instrument skyward like its newborn Simba. Stoner culture is slowly merging from the shadows in Bangkok. Despite lingering memories of the violent mid-2000s war against drugs waged on Thailand, then Prime Minister... Thung Shinawatra this year saw an abrupt change in laws. Ahead of the chaotic general election in March, the junta-appointed parliament announced a cynical time gift to the public, legalizing cannabis for medical use. Authorities recently showed off the capital's first government-approved weed labs. Many view this as a stride towards Thailand making cannabis fully legal for now through blazing up on a Bangkok street will probably see shaken down by police for a bribe or arrested. The reality for stoners in the capital is still far from the image projecting a reggae pumping hippie bars on the Thai islands where illegal spliffs are sold over the counter. There's just a tourist thing, he says, screwing up her nose like she sniffs a sewer to galvanize the cannabis smoking community in Bangkok and to address what she sees as a lack of genuine stoner culture depicted in Thai media. She announced the amazing stoner movie fest, given that former journalist has had her films banned before for offending religious and political establishments. It was a bold move. The event has become part of a noticeable shift in stoner visibility in Bangkok, sparked by the law change. In April, the fifth annual 420 Festival, hosted by pro-weed activist group Highland Network, took place in the city. Cannabis fans wore bong costumes and held massive inflatable duties. It was the biggest incarnation of the festival yet. And the following month, Thailand opened a weed-themed cafe in Bangkok, taking an, anything stronger than booze is not tolerated by you, but the medical use law 
has given the visitors confidence to at least talk about the drug openly. Ratchamak Sanrak is one of the Highline Cafe's founders, got into weed when he was about 14 at the height of Thailand's war on drugs. At the time, thousands of Thais suspected of being drug dealers were slain by law enforcement officials and even casual drug users lived in fear of the bullets. Many friends died, said Retapan, now 32. He laughs when I ask if his teenage self would believe that he would be open a weed-themed cafe in the city where such deaths took place. But that's Thailand's muddled, coup-laden politics for you. The Highline Cafe's teens' views, the newly relaxed attitudes, is a rightful return to tradition. Kokwan Giri Kokwa, our co-founder, gestures towards a bamboo bong on the cafe counter and points out that the word bong originates from the Thai language. Weed has been widely smoked in Thai for centuries. The older generations grew up with it, seeing their parents and grandparents using it, Kitty says. Shaiwat Banji, 38, another co-founder, says that when he plucked up the courage to tell his military family that he smoked weed, they told him that his grandmother was the dealer. Highland Cafe hosts meetups every Tuesday when the public can ask about weed legislation and other information. There is no community, but because everyone was so scared of what might happen, Kitty says Arun Avery, another of the cafe's co-founders and a Highland campaigner, adds, now we get doctors, scientists, educated people who see the benefit of it. At the film festival, Sagar Singh Savarirang says he's noticed the shift, born in Thailand, to Indian parents, and having spent around half of his 22 years in Thailand, Sagar studies film production at Bangkok's Mangigol University International College. His brilliant tent short film, 30K, an ounce based on friends' experience, depicts a Bangkok police checkpoint bust. No one could ever imagine a stoner movie festival a few years ago here, he says, soaking in the sun on Cinema Oasis's terrace. He adds that although smoking weed in public in Bangkok still gets you in trouble, cops' underlying attitudes seem more understanding since the medical law was announced. Earlier, if they caught you with this shit, they'd be like, don't do this, it ruins your life, he says. But more recently, when I got caught with my vape without illegal drugs, just a vape, they told me, some people smoke weed. If you smoke, smoke it, just keep it at home. Also, a year or two ago, every news channel was talking about marijuana, about medical benefits. Ten years ago, they would have just talked about how it was ruining children's lives. As the ASMF gets underway, there are no nightstick knocks on the cinema doors. In one short film, a high school student placates zombies by blowing marijuana smoke in their decomposing faces. Reefer Madness, a ridiculous 1930s U.S. anti-marijuana film, is joyously received as a comedy. Another lo-fi short from Rackenberg University student, Boyerthin Interkampuik, shows a stoner blasting a bamboo bomb. In Inkthorn Cuppets, the main character does a little more than get baked, eat, convenience store snacks and saunter around Bangkok. As an aside to a conservative Thai film culture in which drug use is rarely shown, Mundati was the young director's aim. It's not about horrible or crazy experiences, he says. After his film is screened, a small red pipe attached to his necklace gently swings as he talks. 
I just feel good that I can speak about the issue and that people haven't have haven't wanted to talk about it. Ian shares a sentiment. I just wanted to see what a Thai stoner movie looks like. We see drinking movies, surfing movies, all these cultures, but what about ours? There are no Thai films where you see yourself on, well, there are cheers erupt in the cinema as Piak hands a crystal bong and a 5,000 to cigar for 30,000 K an ounce. The main ganja, ganja prize, 1,000 goes to Christian Lindior, a director from Philippines who made Super Psycho Cebu Stoner Odyssey about a stoner student on a quest for a mythical strain of dope. No other festival would take my film. This Christian posted on Facebook today. My stoner friends feel represented finally. The event feels like an important step from smoky shadows from Bangkok stoner culture with ripples reaching as far as the Philippines, a country currently going through its own deadly war on drugs that presumably won't be hosting its own weed-related movie festival anytime soon. Being cautioned amid the congratulations really pushing it having this festival using the first person over the wall gets the shot. She leads Christian Cigar outside to pick apart each other's films and the buffet. The prize envelops safety stashed in their pockets. One wonders what they'll spend all that cash on. And this is written by uh, Jamie Fullerton on uh, vice.com. This is weed could once get locals killed in Bangkok now, cannabis culture is taking off. Ooh, yeah. Okay. This is uh, back to uh, Kentucky. This is Cannabis Now, happening earlier in the month um, by Mike Adams. Kentucky Governor thinks legal weed will lead to homelessness and disease. The governor has asserted that Kentucky could not consume enough cannabis to make legalization worth it. The marijuana legalization movement has swelled into such a monstrous figure as of late, attracting the support of lawmakers governors, and even Democratic presidential candidates, that we sometimes find ourselves a bit taken back by when one of these people starts spewing reefer madness. We often thought that there was once a day when popular opinion, especially among those who make our laws, was that legalization or even the acceptance of marijuana would lead to such a crippling of the nation that we'd all inevitably end up in the hottest hell once the great alien in the sky bared down. The cannabis plant was evil, so they said, the root of the new Babylonia, a dark society where our mothers and sisters uh, okay, uh, Okay, just last week, Bevan did an interview with the radio station WKDZ out of Cadiz to discuss some of the issues the state is facing. It was there that the Republican went on a full-blown tirade about now he, about how he doesn't support marijuana legalization because he believes it will lead to an uprising in homelessness, increased emergency room visits, and more disease. Not only does he think that legal weed isn't a viable option for the bluegrass state, but he also doesn't see it as a solution to paying down the state's $60 billion pension debt. Would be more trouble than its benefit, he indicated. Look at the homelessness. Look at the increases in the emergency rooms. Look at the problems they have with the law enforcement of bordering states. 
Bevin said of the Colorado's recreational marijuana laws, look at the amount of disease and the things that have spiked up as a result of people who are coming for the fact that they can smoke pot legally. Does that mean everybody who's involved in that has these problems? No, but many of them do. So we have negative things to counter as well. Bevan's comments on legal marijuana and homelessness are interesting considering that Donald Bunz, founder of the Bunz Center on Poverty and Homelessness at the University of Sidback, homelessness has not increased in Colorado as a result of legalization. It's not that homeless people aren't moving to the state because there's weed, but the group just makes up such a small percentage that it's hardly a problem. It is worth mentioning that Bevan never clarified what disease would be spread as a result of legal marijuana. When it comes to be using a tax and regulated cannabis market, to trim the deficit in pension and system, Bevan to act like he's ever entertained that act as an option. He also just doesn't believe Kentuckians can smoke enough weed to make it count. Everybody in Kentucky would need to smoke pot for the next 600 years, he said, and no one is allowed to retire for the next 600 years, allowed to incur any more interest or any more liability and then in 600 years of pot smoking, if we did indeed allocate 100% of the money, then we would not, <laughs> we would now have enough money to fund what we owe today in 2019. Everybody in Kentucky would need to smoke pot for the next 600 years, he said. And no one is allowed to retire in the next 600 years or allowed to incur any more interest or any more liability. And then in 600 years of pot smoking, if we did indeed allocate 100% of the money, then we would now have enough money to fund what we owe today in 2019. It's not a serious solution, he added. It's not even a solution at all. It's a ridiculous proposal. Indeed, trying to whittle down the state's pension liability with legal marijuana marijuana alone is a stretch. So far, the Kentucky lawmaker has come out and said that marijuana would help recoup the whole wad. However, most of those in federal legalization think the extra source of income wouldn't hurt. Some predict Kentucky could save $100 million in animal marijuana tax revenue with legalization, not to mention the creation of tens of thousands of jobs and a substantial boost to local and state economies. But when taking into account the society tax and and that it would need to keep the homeless from taking over as well as filling hospital ERs with pot overdose victims and controlling the outbreak of disease, the state would hardly benefit at all from pot tax. At the time, Bevan maintained that the state should not even consider trying to financially capitalize on the medical needs of anyone in their population. So as far as recreational use is concerned, it is off the table. There's not a chance that I would sign a legalization of recreational marijuana, he said. His ultra-conservative attitude has not helped his political control. Recent polls show Bevin is the most unpopular governor in America he could end up losing Democratic gubernatorial challenge and last year, which might affect the marijuana movement in 2020. Attorney General said this year that no one who is caught up sim- caught simply possessing marijuana should ever go to jail or should ever go to prison. All right. That is uh, from Cannabis Now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you're listening to... Smoke News Radio, Jason Brodsky, your uh, host right here. And I thank you guys for listening very much. It's been definitely a pleasure. And I enjoy uh, bringing some, uh, some things I can find out for you. Thank you. Have a good night.
billion people died on the news tonight But not so many cried at the devil's side Well, Mama said, it's just make-believe You can't believe everything you see So baby, close your eyes to the lullaby Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.